Warhammer Age of Sigmar Path to Glory podcast, where we focus on the lore, rules, and storytelling of narrative play. Thank you for joining us once again as we pitch our tents, set up camp, and share our tales from along the path to story. Your companions around the campfire this episode are... Hey, I'm Paul, and today, my name is Serhendemwai, the many-faced malefactor, Dyer Castellan of the Undiscoverable Coast. Dire Castellan of the Undiscoverable Coast. That is, is a mouthful. Yeah. It's a mouthful, and it's very much the veins. Yeah. <laughs> it's a coast you can't find. Wow. I like the uh, the many-faced malefactor part of it. Like, I'm just like, so is this guy just like a thief? Is he a, like, in general, a sly talker like how how do we uh, how do we generate or or is it just like literally an ocrc bone reaper with four heads who manages the coast like it could be either yeah so a malefactor that's like the opposite of a benefactor yeah exactly it's one who takes huh one who takes and he's the castellan of the coast of the undiscoverable coast yeah the undiscoverable maybe he's got some kind of like super secret realm gate or something that goes there or so rather than us guessing where this guy's from do we want the the uh, listeners in the discord to guess hey that'd be a great idea hey listeners why don't you post in the discord where do you think Slendemoy, the many-faced malefactor dire castellan of the undescribable coast what battle time is he from yep let us know pause this right now Go, type it in there, come back and listen. It's okay. If you listen to the story phase, you'll be here every day, all day anyway. So you should have Discord open already. Absolutely. Right. And if you pause the show and then guess, you're going to actually have to do it two more times because that's not everyone that's on the show. Right, right. But we want to give them time to think through (laughs) each each answer. We want thoughtful, intentional answers. Yeah. So on that note, I'm Harry, but today... I am Tarlus Lionbound, Jaded Herald of Starlight. Ooh, Jaded Herald of Starlight. He's just been doing it for too long. Right. <laughs> you know, like jaded, jaded has a couple meanings there, you know. It could be could literally have to do with the stone, or he could just be, you know, over it. Yeah. He's got what is it, the the cheer root that the Akari have in the Kragnos novel. He's just sitting on a rock, <laughs> like, yeah, I got the starlight, but <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's just my day job, so. It doesn't sparkle anymore. You know, like, if you have Starlight every day, it's really special. I mean, come on. Torlus Lionbound. And then I am Will, but today I am Vorgos Sourhood, the snarling warmonger of the Chained Wrathgate. Wow. Doesn't sound like he washes his clothes for it. Not (laughs) at all. Was Sourhood? Sourhood. Yeah. Mm. Ew. Yeah, like I'm just imagining spilled milk. Like it it's just smells like spoiled it. milk. It's, it's all got time. that stank. Yeah. <laughs> and what was his title again? He is the snarling warmonger of the Chained Wrathgate. Chained I mean, Wrathgate. Yeah, he's just snarling. Sounds like going to be Ooh. angry, which I'd yeah. be angry if I was wearing rotten yeah. milk on my head yeah. at all times. So yeah. that, that that's true. Him. That's true. And it could be sour hood, just because he's always got that sour expression. That's true. That's fair. It could just be 
Almost like dour. Yeah, listeners, we look forward to your answers. And then uh, going from there, we're going to start just by catching everyone up on what we have been doing hobby-wise since we last spoke. Uh, Harry, do you have anything you did uh, over the past month or so? So uh, again, I've, uh, I haven't done as much on my uh, Slaves to Darkness, my main Path to Glory army, as I had hoped. I, I did finish up writing down the results of the aftermath phase from the battle that the couple of battles that my son and I had had. Mm. And, um, I got some, some units that have suffered casualties like you heard on the last episode. So, um, I knew that going into my next battles, I was probably going to want to fight something a little smaller and have those units sit out so that they can have a better chance of recuperating um, before they have to fight again. Um, so, so I did the bookkeeping part of that. And then, uh, as far as actually painting and working on models, um, I finished putting the barding or the comparisons on all the, the 10 Boingrot bounders that I have for Ooh. the, uh, Nigets of the realm that, <laughs> that I'm working on for Gatonia and, uh, so those came out great. I also used the um, the masking tape trick to put little pendants on all their on all their lances. So they have proper pendant lances. Um, still left the the mushrooms on the gotcha. on some of the lances, but yeah. So those guys, I got them primed and and uh, zenithal dry brushed, yeah, whatever okay. you want to call it. Basically, mm-hmm. the first step of slap chop. Gotcha. And, and I'm excited to get colors <laughs> on them so that they can look like proper Gatonian nuggets. Um, and then I also started putting color on this guy here. I don't know if you'll be able to see him. I know I've posted him on Twitter. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, the Mega Boss uh, Warhammer Plus model from the first year. And he is being done up entirely in gold and blue because his backstory is that he leads a group of oryx who believe themselves to be they may be nobody's kept the records but they believe (laughs) themselves to be descendant of the oryx that were kicked out of azir when sigmar sealed the gates oh and so he claims basically a, a right to Azir and he's putting together a proper law to go back and reclaim Azir is his, is his goal. So he's armored himself entirely in gold and blue, just like the Stormcast Eternals, because he figures if those Umis can figure out how to be reforged, then he sure can too. Um, and so that's that's the theme I'm going with for him. He's nice. leading this army of Oryx that are trying to figure out how to capture the power of the storm and uh, bust back into Azir and retake their their rightful lands. Um, have you seen the Warhammer Plus uh, Hammer and Bolter episode with Hamilcar? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah Love for. That. Those who may not have seen it, Hamilcar Bear Eater, great Stormcast. He makes a bet with the Oryx that whoever can beat me 
can learn the secrets of reforging. Yep. So I wonder if this dude like is one of the Oryx that survived that scuffle. He's like, <laughs> may have been, may have been. So he's actually my only iron jaws, um, oh. which is part of why I'm doing a, uh, a big wall army. And we'll get into the, the pros and cons of that. Um, I do have some Ard boys, which are actually the old black orcs. You'll see there. Oh, nice. Sprayed them in gold and I'll, I'll get the details up on them. Um, I'm doing the, uh, the, top knots on all the unit champions again just like the stormcast so all the yard boys and any brutes that i get are going to be painted up in in blue and gold um just like stormcast but what i also have are a bunch of these old guys i don't know if mm-hmm. you can see oh, them. Yeah. yep From so the, the uh, old the old uh, starter yeah no, fifth edition starter edition. i think sixth edition uh, actually because fifth edition was brett's versus Lizard. You're right. It sure was. So yeah, these are the sixth edition starter with the um, the Oryx, and so we've got the Legends War Scrolls for Oryx mobs, um, and those have all the right keywords to be used in a Oryx War Clans army, but they're not one of the three sub factions that are in the um, the main battle tome. So if you go big wah, you can take them. But if you go with iron jaws or bone splitters or cruel boys, you can't take them in your army. So I wanted to be able to include those in my path to glory for my Oric war clans. So that's why I'm going with the big wah. Nice. I like that. Yeah. It's a really clever way of bringing them back. Yep. Yeah. And it's again, kind of, you imagine the, the old races that were, around the realms before the age of chaos may have looked a little bit more like we knew them in the old world. So I figured that was a good place for them is these are the ones that kept the old ways. They were kicked out of Azir. Maybe they, they see themselves more as that medieval feudal society. And here comes along this, this uh, war boss or mega boss who's going to lead them back home to the, the promised land. I love it. Uh, and then, Paul, what have you been working on lately? I have continued to work on my um, Squigglelanch. So I figured I finished off the Squig Boss. Um, I finished off the uh, the uh, the hero on a Squig, um, and then I've been working my way through uh, a Squig herd and my Manglers. So nice. Uh, it's been fun. I haven't gotten a ton done, but like definitely getting some paint on, making some progress. So I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. Um, You've been doing like the hobby shriek stuff, right? At least getting a yes. little bit of paint every day. Yes. I, 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 my rule is, which is not nearly as, as intense as everybody else's. It seems to be, <laughs> they're like, oh, I need to have 30 minutes of painting every day. And I'm like, I need to put paint on a model with like a paintbrush or a rattle can or something. I just need to put paint on a model. And so I'm on yeah. somewhere in like 930 is my, my oh, wow. hobby streak of that. So that's was, awesome. Yeah. yeah that's I was, amazing. I was encouraged yeah. by uh, Norm, uh, who is a, another Madison player. He's been, <laughs> I think going for 1900 days. Wow. So, Oof. Duh. Yeah, so I started on his day 1,000. So I'm one day behind him. <laughs> oh my god! And I used to uh, I used to post every day, and it just 
it started taking the fun out of it because I'd be like, oh, I have to do more or I have to do less or I have to pick this model because it'll see you'll see the paint. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I'm like, I, to me, that wasn't intriguing or adding any joy to the process. So I was just like, I'm just going to do it on my own. Um, but yeah, every time I go somewhere, like I, I went to Minnesota earlier this month and brought some models with, got some paint on them some point during the day. So it's fun. Yeah. I enjoy it. It's always amazing to me how it snowballs, like how encouraging mm -hmm. just getting a little bit of hobby in makes you want to hobby more, makes you more excited about the hobby in in mm -hmm. general, at least it does yeah. for me. And, and I know I've even found that with my son, um, just before they went on spring break, his, uh, his teacher told him that he could bring models for their art time. Um, oh, if he wow. wanted to, to paint those instead of sketching or, or something else. That's um, awesome. and so he jumped on that opportunity. I put together a little travel kit for him, um, mm -hmm. where he can take a couple paints and a paintbrush and, uh, got him one of the, the Citadel water cups, oh. um, cause it cleans up real easy. It does. And he's not going to yeah. misplace it. Um, and, <laughs> and he takes that on, you know, Thursdays or whenever they have their art class at school. And, um, just that alone, like, got his enthusiasm for his army going again yeah mm -hmm. well and it's like it's good that you're like putting it down to like just getting some paint on you're not saying like i need to do an entire model or 30 mm -hmm. minutes because like the way you paint an entire army is one brush stroke at a time yeah um and even if you only get a few brush strokes in a day that is something and you're still making that progress and still moving forward yeah and the, and the thing is like I, I was like, well, maybe I'll try it in an hour. And I was like, eh, hour seems like too much. And a half an hour. And it's not because it's not every day. Oh, half an hour every day sounds too much. Um, Norm was, uh, he was in the hospital for COVID. And he was like, crap, I'm going to break my streak at like a thousand. Sure. And he was like, oh, I, I just, I don't have anything. And he's like, oh, right. It's a gaming streak. So he played a game of cards against his son in the waiting room. Right. Oh, nice. And and that's the thing is like when you're trying to do something for, you know, years, which at this yeah. point it's, it's going on three years. Um, there are days when it's just like, yeah, I can pick up a paintbrush and I can put some paint on a model, even if I can't do it for half an hour. Because if I do it for half an hour, I'm just going to end up repainting over the thing I just painted. Right. right. Yeah. And then I'm just doing it because the little checklist says that I need to do it. And for me, my rule is I need to put paint on a model, but also I need to put intentional paint on a model. So I'm not going to just put paint on that I'm going to paint over the next day. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so for me, a half an hour was too much because there are days when a half an hour is not, you don't have a half an hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. Life happens, <laughs> but <laughs> absolutely putting yeah, paint, for me. I, oh, yeah. go ahead. And just putting some paint on a model. I can do that. Even yep. if I'm feeling terrible, if I'm sick, if I'm like going to a funeral, I can still pick up a paintbrush, put some paint on a model and be like, all right, I did something productive today. So, yep. yeah, yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, I don't keep count of mm -hmm. how many days in a row, but I know there are times where I'll go out to my hobby space and realize rather than getting paint on a model, I need uh. to just tidy up. 
because yep. <laughs> I haven't addressed the, my workspace for a while or I, you know, I'll go for a color and I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure it's here somewhere, mm-hmm. but yeah. And so then I just have to remind myself that spending time tidying up my hobby space is productive hobby because that helps in the long run. See, I had to actually put paint on a model because if I just would have been hobby, I would have bought so many kits <laughs> because that's the thing that I enjoy the most. I love painting, but I enjoy right. kit bashing and I enjoy assembling models the most. Yeah. And so I literally would have just bought model after model after model and been like, I'm doing hobby. I'm being productive, but I'm also spending a lot of money just to check a box. Right. And with right. paint, I already have enough paint. I just need to sit down and do it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I forget I, I, who. Go ahead. I forget who on Twitter uh, asked a question this last month, but somebody was asking if uh, if people had palette cleanser models that mm-hmm. they sat, had sat around mm-hmm. waiting just to be painted. And I was like, oh, is that what we're calling them now? Because I've got armies full of palette cleansers. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely have those too. It's just like, oh, I picked up a, you know, a spider rider from fifth edition. And it's all now. Yep. I'm not oh, going nice. to buy an army of it. Right. But right. I, at some point, I'm like, I want to paint that. So one day yep. I did. I just went and I painted it and it was great. Yeah. So, yeah. But it, yeah. it, I think it's a fun thing to be able to do it. I mean, you can think about hobby every day and that's not that big of a deal. But like being intentional and for me, it has meant that I've gotten more painting done as well because I can't just kit bash. I can't just make more projects to add to the to be painted list. Right. So. Right. No, that's good. Uh, and then for my hobby, I didn't get as uh, much painting done, but I have been doing a lot of work on um, looking at things like regiments of renown. And that's mm-hmm. actually going to come up in our next session that I'm just going to hop on over to, which is our little uh, dev diary for the veins. Great. Um, mm-hmm. So for those of you who've been following along, these little dev diaries are like how we plan on expanding the setting that we're all kind of playing in and kind of giving a little bit more definition to that gray space. And what I have been really working on this past month is looking at the new regiments of renown rules and how we can make that work for the show and for people who are listening. Mm hmm last episode i was like yeah i'm working on this entire mercenary system it's going to be great from the ground up it's going to be perfect the next day (laughs) is when regiments renown hit so i kind of like took a lot of the things i was working on scrapped it started from scratch with the new regiments of renown and then i ended up using a lot of that stuff uh for those who don't know regiments of renown are essentially mercenaries they are specific groupings of units from certain factions that Games Workshop has released boxes of and rules for taking them in other armies within the same Grand Alliance. Uh, one that stood out to me is there's one that's Cruel Boys. It's a, mm-hmm. just a bunch of units of their crossbows and then the big uh, beast killer bow that they have that now every destruction army can take. What Games Workshop didn't do is add path to glory rules. Hmm. It's here's how you can take them in your army if you're doing pickup games or match play or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I saw a problem that I reached out to fix. Yeah. Um, and I had sent a few things along to the guys here. 
but I didn't send everything. So just what I want to do is kind of summarize what I came up with, mm-hmm. see how you all feel. And then mm-hmm. I'm working on like an actual supplement that we can publish and uh, host on our website when I get it all sorted out. Great. Uh, so first things first, I wanted rules for the existing regiments of renown, how to take that into your army. And the, my thought process was these are mercenaries. The mechanics should deal with the fact that they are mercenaries, mm-hmm. but also yeah. they should allow for someone who just wants their narrative to be that they have a mercenary army so that they could be like permanent additions. So I kind of did both. Now, Will, yes. these the way they've released these regiments of renown, they are Grand Alliance locked. But for Path to Glory, do players need to be as worried about only hiring the mercenaries that come from their Grand Alliance? That is a great question. So my philosophy is everything I talk about after this is fan-made anyways. So why not open the doors just a little bit further Mm -hmm. and allow us to take folks from other Grand Alliances? It's going to be a little bit more costly but it should be allowed. Like anyone should be able to pay some cruel boys to shoot something is Mm -hmm. my philosophy. And it's already in the lore. Um, One of the the regiments that I was expecting to see, and I think we were all surprised not to see was a unit of, or some sort of regiment of fire slayers. And there are plenty of places in the lore where fire slayers are said to have fought for, Chaos, death, destruction, and order armies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another one that we didn't see that we really expected to see was Ogor Maneaters. Mm-hmm. Their lore is that they go hire themselves out to different uh, factions, settlements, civilizations, get that knowledge, and then take it back home. So it would only make sense that one, we should have seen them, and two, we should have seen them as a part of other Grand Alliances. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as the idea of it being mercenaries, my idea was I had like some large ideas and it kept on getting simplified after talking to more and more people, which is simply in your Path to Glory game, if you want to hire mercenaries, you can do so. It just costs a little bit of glory. It costs one glory for each unit, but a regiment of renown has a specific number of units in it. So, the Cruel Boys one, I think, has three different units. There's the leader and then two units of crossbows. So if you're a destruction army, that costs you three glory to bring them temporarily. Is About that as per battle? And that's per battle if they are temporary hires. Because that's the cost of just buying a cheap unit. Right. Mm-hmm. However, if you are, say, an order army and you want to hire that unit out, it's an additional glory if they are outside of your Grand Alliance. So suddenly the price starts going up. I like it. Mm-hmm. And I thought mercenaries don't have any loyalty. And they especially won't work for someone who doesn't care about them. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a glory cost if the unit is destroyed because they want their money back for having to recoup their losses. Mm-hmm. So taking that example of a three unit regiment of renown, if you want to hire them and just throw their lives away, that's going to be about nine glory. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's very expensive. It's not a cost effective thing, which mercenaries aren't cost effective. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I thought if you want to add them into your army to make them permanent, you could do that and you'll actually recoup some of those costs. To do that, I came up with a simple quest. The quest is you pick a regiment of renown and you essentially hire them for a battle. If you get a minor victory, you get one quest point. If you get a major victory, you get three quest points. As soon as you get three quest points, they are automatically put into your order of battle. Mm-hmm. So if you hire them out and you win, they're yours. And then if so once they're part of your order of battle, is there a glory cost to maintaining them? The glory cost of maintaining them is only if they're destroyed. Okay. And the reason for that is regiments of renown are unique units. Yeah. They do not get renown. Funnily mm-hmm. enough, uh, <laughs> weird. they don't make right. That's that was the weirdest thing. I started making it, and then someone's like, "Aren't they unique?" And I just like metaphorically flipped the table over. <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. They should get renown. Um, they already have the renown. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They already. So they can get more. Exactly, and they already have something that's like akin to like veteran abilities. Yeah, because each of yeah. them have something that they wouldn't normally get in their own army. Yeah, uh, using the cruel boy example, if the big killabow shoots something that's a monster, the rest of the cruel boys get a bonus to shoot that thing. So they're mm-hmm. more powerful than if they were within their own army for the right. most part. Right. Um, but there's no casualty rolls. There's no reason to spend glory to recuperate that army right so there's just the glory cost if a unit is destroyed you pay one glory so you still want to keep them alive Mm -hmm. but it's still cheaper than recuperating any of your other armies right that makes sense yeah yeah and and i'm so i'm running the um god sworn hunt in my um in my path to glory for the slaves of darkness and so i know what you're talking about as far as unique units play a little bit differently um, in the aftermath phase. Uh, you know, you can't get, they can't get better, but they also can't get worse. So they can have a little bit of a, a unique role. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my main, like the main thoughts. I didn't want the rules to be like super bloated because t- to be honest, the rules for regiments of renown in general are super simple. And no reason to make something more complicated. And it gives someone the tools to add them to their army if they want, tools to hire them out, and being able to just open up uh, this offering that Games Workshop has given us with Regiments of Renown. Yeah. And on top of that, the reason it's part of our development diary is I had some ideas for Regiments of Renown specific to the veins. Um, one, I thought it'd be cool if there were regiments of renown that represented all of our armies. Yep. Uh, so for example, I came up with one for some chaos legionnaires. The idea is that they are cultists of Bellicor taking jobs and like using that to like try to convert people. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, I thought it would be cool to have some miscellaneous vein themed regiments of renown mm-hmm. which are kind of the ones we've all been asking for number mm-hmm. one is those man eaters uh just 
let me pull it up. Yeah, I call it uh, Borlog and the Lads. It's the new Blood Pelt Hunter from the new Ogor book. Their lore is like they're young mercenaries who like killing heroes. And nice. then he's got some man-eaters with him. And they're the people you hire if you just want to get rid of the enemy commander. Mm-hmm. And they've been living in the veins. They've been doing this for a while. The reason the veins has survived is because it's hidden. And part of why it's hidden is because they have these dudes going out in the darkness killing anyone who's trying to spread the word of this location. Oh. Uh, I like it. Yeah. And then just another one that was really inspired by something Kieran had said is called the boarding party. This is flesh eater courts. They are the pirates that just attack everyone who kind of come near the veins. And the reason they're getting hired out is they think that they are basically being hired to hunt monsters, but the monsters are just people that could be a threat to the veins. That's amazing. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we're, we're definitely monster hunters. We're great heroes. They mm-hmm. see this almost like the Witcher, but if the Witcher was insane. <laughs> I'd and watch that show. It'd be, it'd be perfect. It's the perfect show. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I have a bunch of ideas like that. Then it's really hard to like go through, the the meat like the actual work i'm doing is more of what is their cool unique ability they have right Um, Mm -hmm. because some of the existing regiments are renowned the cool unique ability they have is they can just bring their regular battle traits with them like cruel boys if you ally them in or if you take them in big wad normally they can't get their venom weapons yep now they can't uh but then other regiments of renown have like special abilities there's a dwarden one where they can hunker down on an objective and Mm -hmm. that fits their narrative of just being the people you call to defend something right but i threw down my oath stone (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um so the trick is like finding something that works that also isn't too overpowered um for what they're trying to do Mm -hmm. no it's awesome you've done a ton of work and it and it looks great and super fun. Um, and I think there's an automatic kind of um, thing here where a lot of the different battle tomes have abilities that are based on units from their battle tome doing cool things, right? Yeah. Like, so it'd be awesome to run these um, regiments of renown from, say, the, the the veins in your army. But then for me, it'd be like, oh, but then there's three less units that can search for mushrooms. Exactly. So like, what's the payoff? Exactly. So it seems it seems like it'll be a fun thing uh, to add into that narrative. And like, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it just makes me think I want to put together a bunch of different regiments of renown, and and then I would just have a dogs of war. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, the list like the goal is to just like somehow get dogs of war as a <laughs> just a viable option in Path to Glory. Yeah, it, it's funny because in uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles, it was like, oh, you had a paymaster. It's like, yeah, I would like a KO play, paymaster would be super sweet. Like, along with oh, a code right that just like is keeping track of all the contacts and telling everybody how they must actually work in their army. <laughs> like, that'd be super awesome. Oh, that'd be great. Well, and the other thing would be cool. Like, if, if you're taking Dogs of War, a paymaster in terms of Path to Glory could like, limit the glory cost of hiring mercenaries and make it easier to absorb them into your dogs of war yep. army 
love it but then you would have like a tax that you'd have to pay maybe um, yeah as you're maintaining the army of like uh well we have to send this one back or you know so yeah i could fun. see the paymaster having his tax which is like he takes glory and then turns it into his renown exactly oh that'd be awesome i love this that'd be great. this is a great um, idea i forgot there's another um idea that i had i have put no work into it besides a funny punny name but <laughs> that's a lot of work i mean come on it it's like hard. half the work we do on the story phase, so. <laughs> uh and it actually is akin to something that i didn't even think about it before we were recording because we don't tell each other everything we're going to say what harry had mentioned about his uh orcs that he's using legend war scrolls I think legends regiments of renown would be a great way for people like to reward people who kept those models. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was talking to someone who their plan was exactly this regiment of renown I'm thinking of that. I'm calling the four Omir, which is four Famir models. You have the leader and then the three others. So you have four Omir. (laughs) And I thought it'd be cool because like the veins are in their, their weird little area that it would make sense that like a faction like the Famir would somehow survive hidden yeah. from everywhere else. Yeah. And they're they, just like weird dudes. They were always there in the shadows the whole exactly. time. Exactly. Troglodytes. Yeah. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be heard. They're just kind of living life in the city in the weird dark muck. Uh, and you know what? They want some money. So they'll hire themselves out. Yeah. I like it. In fact, as you were describing uh, our ideas for the regiments of renown, that's exactly what I was thinking of um, for the one from one of my path to glory was using these older Auric models uh, as uh, the regiment of renown from the Auric uh, war war clans so that if people have those older models, they can still add them in even if they're not wanting to use them as part of their normal work war clans army. Yeah. Like another good one is I know um, Tomb King Tristan from party at the all points. He's working on adapting the tomb Kings to third edition with a fan made battle tome. And if there's a tomb Kings regiment of renown, people would lose it. Like if GW still had the mold and just sold like one box with three kits, like done. Yeah. It would make money hand over fist. That'd be super fun. I would do Prince Apophas, and then I'd do the Snake Snurfers, right? Ooh, and like yeah. we could just all ambush in. That'd be awesome. I was thinking because I don't know too much about like the name characters, but just the idea of God, because I was never around for fantasy, so I never remember mm-hmm. the titles. But like essentially, the priest that helped manage the constructs, Necrotect. Yeah, no, Necrotect. that was the architect guy. Yeah, there was a yeah. witch priest. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the Necrotect. Okay. Like a Necrotect with just like the Ushapti or like some of those other constructs. And he just like brings them around like in search of relics. And uh-huh. that's like how he gets hired out is like, you promised me relics, so I'll have my guys fight for you or whatever. So what this reminds me of and what you, you're just talking about reminds me of is back in the day, White Dwarfs used to put in narrative rules. Um for just cool stuff that people had made. So one of my favorite, absolutely 100% favorite rule sets that they put in um, was somebody had made a super sweet conversion um, using a metal bone giant 
And then they had like carved out the chest of the bone giant and added in the tomb scorpion onto it. Oh my god! Tomb scorpion has a (laughs) lich priest bound into it. That's a it's a it's a construct. Yeah. So then they made up a whole story for this lich priest that was born that was bound into a bone giant, Hmm. and then they wrote the background of how this character was created, and then they made an army list to play with that character. So you could make your own bone giant with a lich priest bound into it. And the the only rule was it was the only character you could have in your army. But then it made bone giants core. And then they gave like other kinds of bone giants. Like some made some conversions. You could like do a bone giant archer and then he would be special. And like, it it was super awesome. So you could do an all construct army. So that's sort of, what you're talking about reminds me. I was just like all these cool things that um, GW used to do. Yeah. Uh, so super fun. Old, and- old White Dwarf uh, issues are great inspiration for mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. I'll oh, be yeah. honest. I find a whole lot more use out of the way they do White Dwarf now with their flashpoints and with their little campaigns because I'm never going to buy like seven bone giants to make a Tomb Kings army. <laughs> I'll totally like add in the lore or play the white dwarf campaigns. Yeah. Um, so true. Yeah. But it was still, it was still awesome to, to open up the magazine and say something you would never have thought could have existed. And then, Oh, by the way, we've made four more of them as well. Yeah. Right. And come again, like not getting in just after Warhammer fantasy battles, but while total war Warhammer exists, it's like, okay, Kislev. How do people run Kislev? And it's like, here's a White Dwarf article that's like, eh, it looks something like this. Like, not a fully fleshed out battle tome, but it is so evocative that it still inspires people like today and maybe part of the old world when it ever gets released. That Oh, man, now you've triggered so me. Cool. You didn't realize <laughs> this, but now you've triggered me because they used to do battle tome releases in White Dwarf. Right. Oh my God. And it wouldn't be a full battle tome, but that would be your that would be your army book for indefinite. Like when they when yeah. was it sixth edition, Harry? Was it when they released Ravening Hordes? Yeah, it's literally just oh, yeah. like so. You know when <laughs> AOS dropped and they just released War Scrolls for everything? Yeah. Imagine that, but without any of the extra flavor text or any of the extra rules. Everything just mm-hmm. got a very small a stat little line. stat oh, line. Wow. And pointless, yeah. and that was it. So, like, hmm. when they released AOS, they went one better by, like, actually putting in keywords and putting in all these abilities. So, yeah. Th- so, yes. Also a great idea, <laughs> but you have triggered me because of what happened in 6th edition. White Dwarf. There were definitely some factions that lived for way too long in White Dwarf. In White Dwarf. I mean, Chaos, Chaos Dwarves. They, didn't, they yep. never got an update to, to Ravening Hordes. I don't think so. No, there was the pre-Ravening Hordes army yep. book and then never again until yep. the, well, Legion of Asgore. Yeah, and that was, yeah. yeah, that's true. But then there was a completely different army list because they had completely different models. Yeah. But like, yeah. then the funny thing was the original Battle Tome was just a compilation of all the White Dwarf articles about <laughs> Chaos Dwarves that was released as its own standalone army book, which then got invalidated right. almost immediately. <laughs> it, was, it was a it wild was, time. It was a wild time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. I, I we're saying, like I... completely fanboying on fantasy battles at this point. 
Well, because there's like a lot of cool ideas that when you use a term like regiment of renown that mm-hmm. hasn't it's existed in AOS only in the sense that there was a general's handbook that had special build your own regiments of renown rules. And a lot of those things are now like your veteran abilities in Path to Glory. Right. Um, so other than that, there hasn't been regiments of renown in AOS, but it's such an evocative term from fantasy battles that mm-hmm. when you bring it back, of course, people are going to like try to make those old connections. Yeah. And yeah elephant in a room i feel like i'm i hope that they don't waste the opportunity that they gave themselves with this because elephant in the room is that all of the regiments of renown they released are obviously kits that just like aren't selling a lot is what it feels like it's what it feels like they're definitely not popular in competitive play lists right yeah and there's also just like not a like the ones they have are super cool. There's like a corpse cart with zombies that do cool things with wards, Zinch and Oryx, but like none of them are the mercenaries that already exist in the lore. Correct. And I hope that maybe a season of war or something like a general's handbook or some other supplement continues to build off of this idea that it's not just repackaged units with a cool rule to get people to buy something. If nothing else, what this has done is start a whole line of conversation for us yeah. about how you can take an idea, maybe not for an army, but for a few units that you'd love to run with mm-hmm. um, or add an additional flavor to and add those into your Path to Glory campaign. Um, like we said in the first episode of the season, Path to Glory is a perfect place to flesh out and explore your creativity if you've got uh, an idea from total war or from white dwarf or from a black library novel and you're like man i'd really love to do something with that on the battlefield on the tabletop path to glory is a great place to do that because you're already working in this creative space telling stories with your army and having that conversation with your opponent or opponents about the story of your army. So it's a better place to introduce, Hey, here's these units and this is their unique story and why they're part of this army when they wouldn't normally be according to the battle tome or whatever. Yeah. No, I think that's a super great point. And another thing um, that reminded me of is there's a lot of really cool things going on in age of Sigmar, which is, I mean, I had mentioned Tristan, but fan battle tomes. The big yeah. one that even shows up at events is Nomad Feastmasters. Uh, I love it. It's love it. so cool, super evocative. If you have no idea what we're talking about, like look it up. Uh, but it's halflings in AOS. And it's just like an entire, it's like an actual entire battle tome created by someone. And I'm sure that inspired a lot of people's like minds to go crazy to come up with their own ideas. But then they thought, Oh my God, I need to create an entire battle tome. Yeah. What if you just had an idea and thought I can do a regiment of renown. I can do one cool, unique leader. I can do two cool, unique units and one special rule. And I can send it out there just to see what that like response is like. and actually do something instead of thinking of, I need to do a whole fan battle tome for this cool idea I have would be a great way to get nomads into your army. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but enough about us talking about the things that we've been working on. 
let's go back to some of those official tools that Games Workshop has given us with some uh, Path to Glory reviews. Uh, Harry, I think you were going to start us off talking about Oryx. Yeah, so just uh, like we started last episode, we want to take a little bit of time to review the official rules that Games Workshop has given us in each of the battle tomes, um, a couple of factions per episode. And so the first faction we're going to talk about this month is the um, Path to Glory rules for the Auric Warclans. Now, this is one of the first battle tomes that came out with the new Path to Glory rules. So we had the initial release of 3rd edition Age of Sigmar. We've got the Path to Glory rules in the main rulebook. And then right on the heels of that, we've got Stormcast Eternals and the Auric War Clans come out. And so that's the first glimpse we have of Path to Glory rules that are specific to a faction and how those layer on top of the rules in the core rulebook. So what's interesting about the Auric War Clans um, and the approach that they took to their Path to Glory is they really want to play into this idea of gathering the big wall. So you don't have to um, start as one of the three sub-factions or, or right. sub-armies because there, there's sub-factions within each of them. So you within Auric War Clans, of course, you have the Cruel Boys, the Iron Jaws, and the Bone Splitters. And if you go with one of those, you get this additional layer of rules in the Path to Glory where you can start to add in units from the other groups of Oryx into your order of battle based on the tier of battle that your army is at. And just to be clear, uh, that's not something you can normally do, right? If I'm a cruel boy, I can't normally take Iron Jaws units, right? Correct. So when you put together a um, an Oryx Warclan's army, you have to decide uh, if you're going to be a Cruel Boys army, in which case all the units in your army have to be keyword Cruel Boys, uh, an Iron Jaws army, or a Bone Splitters army. And in each of those, you have to match the keywords. The only way you can mix those three is if you start with what's called a Big Wah army. And in doing that, you lose some of the battle traits for those specific factions, but you gain uh, the ability to synergize all of them together together. Um, and that's why you're doing the big wah for your orc army because you have those legends orc units that don't fit into those three sub like armies. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So the the uh, the orc mob legends war scroll doesn't have one of those three group keywords in it. It has the green skins keyword, which is an older yeah. uh, keyword that they used when they converted orcs and goblins over to orcs in Age of Sigmar. And so they still have the Auric Warclans keyword, so you can take them as part of the, the an Auric Warclans army, but they can't be Cruel Boys, Iron Jaws, or Bone Splitters because they don't have those keywords. Gotcha. So, again, not to confuse anyone here, but <laughs> the, if you have one of those uh, Cruel Boys, Iron Jaws, or Bone Splitters armies, the other two are called Rival Warclans. And so if you're at the lower tier of battle, you can have one to four rival war clans units as part of your order to battle. 
uh, order of battle rather. And then as you move up to the middle tier of battle, it can be uh, one or rather it's not one to four, it's one in four. So out, yeah. every four you have, you, one of them can be um, a rival war clans unit. When you move up to the middle tier of battle, one out of every two can be from a rival war clans unit. So uh, basically half your army can be other than your starting uh, uh, keyword. And then when you get to the higher tier of battle, any number of units within your order of battle can be from rival war clans. So it allows you to, as you're collecting, branch out throughout the battle tome and get those uh, units. Maybe you start off with a bone splitters army and then you see these new cruel boys units, or maybe you got a box or two of dominion and mm-hmm. you've got them waiting to, to be played with. And you want to start adding those in as you grow your path to glory, you're going to have the opportunity to include them in your army while still telling the story of your, your core um, or your starting army that you had there. Well, the other thing I like about that is that um, having just finished reading Bad Loon Rising and talk about like building up a, a wah, right? Like it has mm-hmm. very much has the feeling of building up a wah where you're just attracting other units from the surrounding areas that it's just like, Hey, this guy's doing great. Like, right. Of course we're going to join him. He's obviously got the, the, you know, well, he doesn't have the claim of hand uh, because he's not a grunt. <laughs> he's not cool enough for that, but you know, he's got the, the power of Gork or possibly Mork on his shoulder. So. Right. And that's, right. that's always been part of the Oric and the gets lore is that they follow the biggest, baddest leader. And so if somebody's out there being successful and they're winning fights, they're going to want to follow him. Yeah. And so it's going to attract all those other um, mobs to them. Uh, and on that note, the um, the Oryx, they don't really settle territory, right? Mm-hmm. They don't right. build a lot. <laughs> so while you can have some of your basic territories, um, a big part of their Path to Glory mechanic circles around ransacking ransacking. Uh, territories so the territories um the the faction specific territories which are 61 to 66 on the exploration role allow you to get other factions territories <gasps> and then ransack those <laughs> so they're a duarden mine a human settlement an elf shrine a city of the dead a chaos dread so dreadhold or a realm gate. And then rather than upgrading those, you're going to um, you're going to have to spend glory points to ransack them, and then you get bonus glory points uh, nice. from having ransacked those. So that's how your your army is going to be progressing. You're not trying to capture territory and upgrade it. You're going to want to capture that territory, ransack it. And then get the glory that comes from that. Oh, gotcha. I just had a thought. This is a crazy thought. But that mechanic, right? That makes me think of a Path to Glory campaign system. Mm-hmm. Say you were to do a hex-based campaign map. Mm-hmm. But instead of whoever conquers the most territories, it's building and despoiling all the different actions on the map. 
feel like maybe definitely. something we could talk about and later in the show. I'm not sure, yeah. but maybe, yeah. That would definitely be a fun way to run a Path to Glory campaign. Oh, for sure. Um, so along the, those lines, the quests are also very similar. So you've got Ransack as a quest. That's the quest that you need to do to Ransack one of those six territories. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have a, um, a Break the Beast quest, which is you want to get a mount for your for your warlord so you've got to um or rather you get the amount trait for your warlord um so you pick a mount that doesn't have a trait already you do this quest you break it and then you get the um you get that mount trait so it could be a fast one or a clever one um, a tough one, etc. And then you also have uh, Bone Splitters have their own, which is a monster hunt. Um, where Sounds awesome. Nice. Yep. They've got to go and, and collect clues as they, <laughs> as they complete uh, battles. And then once they get enough clues, they can do the monster hunt battle plan, which is one of the bespoke battle plans that's in here. Nice. Gotcha. Um, I was going to say, when you say clues, that reminded me, because there are like other battle tomes that use the idea of clues, and it almost always unlocks like the other, their special battle plan that every army gets. So yeah. I kind of like that idea. Like even, even Bone Splitters are looking for some sort of clue, even though you don't think of them as the thinkiest or morkiest uh, army out there. Right. And then the other one, uh, the fourth quest is the Tornado of Destruction. And that, once you gain three quest points, unlocks the Tornado of Destruction battle plan, um, which is the second uh, bespoke battle plan in here, um, which has some neat uh, battle plan specific rules that really play into the lore of um, of the Auric War Clans, the, uh, just the the force of destruction that they can be on the realms. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I won't get into the details of those rules, but it's a really, really fun battle plan. Um, Veteran abilities. They've got uh, one specific for each of the, the subgroups. So cruel boys, iron jaws and bone splitters, as well as three other general ones that you can use on any orc unit. Um, So those are great for, enhancing your veteran units as they get better and better. And then they also have the core enhancements of, um, or not the core enhancements, I'm sorry. They also have the heroic upgrades where you can add, take your Auric Megaboss and put him on a Ma Crusher. Uh, he has to get to 35 renown before you can do that. And it costs 10 glory, or you can take a, a Killaboss on Great Nash Tooth, um, or a Killaboss with Stavgrat, and put him on a Corpse Ripa Corpse Vulture. Ooh. He, that costs eight glory points, and he's got to be at renown 30. And I, I was going to say, especially the one with the, with the Stavgrat, he trades the Stavgrat for a Vulture, 
So I wonder what he put out there on the ground for the vulture to swoop down and right. to lure him. It could be anything. You, you could lure in anything. So if he's only at 25 renown, you could spend six glory and lure in a great Nash tooth. Yeah. So you're trading that uh, stab, <laughs> stab grot for a great Nash tooth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. And then, of course, you know, if you got the great Nash tooth, you could always trade that up for the, the corpse rip of vulture. Gotcha. Um. And that is pretty much it as far as the specific rules. We do have some War Scroll Battalions that are also included in the narrative section. Um, and those are playing into the the specific lore of the Cruel Boys, the Iron Jaws, and the Bone Splitters and how they, they organize their forces. Hmm. So you've got the, the Cruel Boys Claw and... Within that, you've got sub-battalions that you've got to form, uh, including the thumb, the jab finger, the middle finger, the trophy finger, mm-hmm. and the light finger. Um, within the Iron Jaws Brawl, you've got the Ard Fist, the Brute Fist, the Gore Fist, the Iron Fist, and the Weird Fist. So these are all sub-battalions that you've got to collect specific units for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, forming a battalion is one of the quests out of the main core book. Yeah. So you can... You don't have to have these battalions at the beginning of your path to glory. This can be something that you use aspirationally as you build out your order of battle. You say, hey, I've got these units. I've added specific units. Now I want to form them into a battalion so that I can get these additional benefits uh, from the book. Yeah. And I remember, especially like a lot of them in second edition that had these special war scroll battalions. If you like, if you add up the points, they tend to be over two thousand. They tend to be more than what you can do in match play, mm-hmm. which is a huge boon to Path to Glory because you, like you said, it's aspirational. You have a a goal, like you know what, I am gonna build this entire orc mob. That maybe I won't find a game that can field all of them, but I know that I did it and I worked my way up, right uh, through the ladder that way. Right, and, and so with third edition, we saw a big shift in the War Scroll battalions. Um, from how they were in first and second edition, especially yeah. second edition, they were a really big part of Age of Sigmar, but you paid points for them, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you wanted to form your your units into a specific battalion and get the bonus rules for that battalion, you had to pay a certain amount of points. Well, they took that away. They got rid of uh, War Scroll Battalions being even admissible in match play. Mm-hmm. And they put them where they really fit best, which is within narrative play. Yep. Because they're telling the story of a certain composition of an army. And mm-hmm. your army doesn't have to be that way. But if it is, it has a little bit more flavor to it. And so it gets these additional rules. So it fits in better with the new Path to Glory system. Where there's some mechanics that allow you to work towards that, and then you get the bonus along the way once you get those. Now you can still take core battalions, like we see from the match play section. Those can still be taken in Path to Glory. You pay for them the same way you would a War Scroll battalion, um, as and you do a quest and you form your units into that, and then you can take the advantages of the core battalion. But. Uh, they don't come with as many flavorful rules as, say, right. the War Scroll Battalions that you're going to find in your battle tone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, obviously, this is an earlier 
third edition battle tome. And so we've seen a little bit of the evolution of Path to Glory and how flavorful it can be. Um, so in more recent ones, like the ones we've seen coming out this year, you're seeing a lot more. I, I feel like the designers are leaning a little bit more into the potential of the Path to Glory system and how you can really pull out the character of the army yeah. in the Path to Glory rule. So I think we're going to see that in the next one that we take a look at here. Absolutely. And so the next one we're going to look at is we're talking about the KO. Um, uh, so they are just released um, and they've got a super fun system um, because their entire system is based on what's called Mercantile Ventures. Which is just classic KO. Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, so basically, this is an add-on to, um, as all of these are, they're an add-on to the the basic um, core book, Path to Glory Rules. Um, but what this one is, is that you have a contract score and an Ether Gold shares that you have to keep track of. Um, so if you win a major victory, you get plus two to your contract score, minor victory, plus one, battle's a draw, nothing. And an opponent mm. won the battle, negative one. Oof. Um, now the rule is you can never go below zero, so That's you can good. be really bad, but you can't bankrupt yourself. Thankfully, I, I think it's a nice <laughs> little touch. Um, but then they have this whole chart of in step seven of the aftermath phase, if you have a contract score of one or more, then you can choose for your fleet to return to port, and then you get to con consult a chart and roll to see how many ether gold shares that you have. Um, and so the Ether Gold shares are fun uh, because they allow you to do a couple of different things. You can spend them on units to gain renown points immediately. Ooh! Um, so you can buy renown, which is super awesome. Um, oh, you can yeah. spend them to immediately add an artifact of power to your vault, which again is going to be super fun uh, and enjoyable. Um, you can actually, this is a fun thing that I haven't seen in any of the other Pathagory editions. You can service a ship so you can spend um, Ether Gold shares to repair any ship. You begin but, to pick a Sky Vessel on your order of battle and then remove any effect from the Sky Vessel damage table that applies to that unit. But Paul, yeah. what is the Sky Vessel damage table? Was, that like, doesn't I, exist in the core rules. Exactly. It's super <laughs> fun and awesome uh, because Sky Vessels are, let's be honest, the coolest thing about KO besides you know yeah. KO in, in, in specific. So... Um, the Sky Vessel damage table is a completely new um, step or a new a new chart to roll on because typically when you're rolling for a monster, um, it, it it doesn't really do that much. Um, and they have character specific ones, but I, I love that they gave us specifically a Sky Vessel damage table because um, it just does cool things like. I'll read a couple of them here. Um, okay. You can get a whole breach um, where you lose one of your saves. It's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> um, now, and, uh, see, I haven't read the rules. So, Will, you could tell me this. Can you still fly high in this battle tome? So, it is changed slightly. Um, uh -huh. Fly high is not something that exists on the War Scrolls themselves, mm -hmm. but uh, it is a special command ability that they can give themselves where they mm -hmm. can fly high. And so the way it's worded is that it's essentially once per turn, since you can only issue a command ability once. So yep. you still can, not as often as they used to. 
So uh, for a whole breach <clears throat> in your next battle, if this unit is included in your army, worsen its save characteristic by one. But then you can also get a punctured endron. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the next battle, if this unit is included in your army, it cannot receive the fly high command. Oop. <laughs> right? So um, super flavorful, super specific. Um, and I, I just enjoy when they add in these little twists that don't make your army better. They actually probably make your army slightly worse, but they add so much story, right? I mean, just right. think of the yeah. the harassed Endrin master who's constantly trying to fix the punctured Endrins, <laughs> right? On a specific uh, iron... Iron... Um, ironclad. On a specific ironclad. And just like, is he really bad at his job? Or is he really good at his job? Yeah. Like, is there like, is somebody in your army just like a, a master marksman? And just keeps shooting the engine in the exact same place. Like right. to me, that's just an awesome story. Um, yeah, and like so, not to divulge too deep into it, but I used to work in like aviation, mm -hmm. and we had our list of the the fleet, so called, and all like the constant mechanical issues. <laughs> and it's always like, hey, we need to fly this one today. And it's like, oh my god, that one it makes a rattling sound. We never know what it mm -hmm. is. And it's like. Mm -hmm. Now you are that KO Admiral who's looking at his list of fleets and he's like, okay, I need to go. We have to fight. The orcs are here. Ah, do I keep this one to recuperate or do I risk it? Like looking at right. his shares of ether gold, like making that decision, like the oh. engine could explode. But if I don't take it, I can't carry my troops in. So here we go. Yeah. Now, now you made me think that I would want to have a hangar full of yeah. all the different ships <laughs> and you would get the, the 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 damage but then it would be permanent and so every time that you pull out a ship you're like oh do i do the one with the punctured endron or do i do the right. one that, right like I, it, that would be a super i yeah that makes me want to do a pathagory army of just ko especially with my grot bag scuttlers because they wouldn't know how to fix anything so like the punctured endron crap <laughs> what were they never gonna get right. fixed they're just gonna fly low Exactly. Yeah, they're just—they'll <laughs> never pay the the ether gold to to fix it. He'll exactly. he'll buy renown or something. Um, <laughs> I I love that, and like to Harry's point, like of uh, the newer battle tomes finding new ways to flesh out the narrative in the system. Mm -hmm. I've been noticing a lot of the more recent ones having these like little mini games because um, yep. the the first two books that came out, the Orc War Clans and the Stormcast, they had cool ways of like creating your army uh like harry mentioned with the work war clans you had the big the idea of the wah and creating your army that way with the stormcast you created your own stormcast chamber yeah but now for ko we have the cool mercantile ventures and the ship damage table mini game we have the mushroom potion mini game we have the favors of chaos mini game so you still get to play like a little game in between your games and i think that is something that one is just more it's fun you get to play right. another game with your game uh and it, they it's a very great way of pulling that narrative out of creating those ideas of i am creating these potions and oh my god my guy exploded or i am working on these ships and i have to my poor engine master has to fix everything like it it's so simple, but it, it really does pull that lore and that narrative out. Right, right. A hundred percent. And that's, it, it's just fun that they're figuring this out, like you said. And and you can watch this happen if you read all the battle tones. Right. You can just watch the evolution. You're like, oh, this is super cool and fun. 
Um, so the next thing that they have is they have veteran abilities that are specific to the KO. Um, the interesting thing is that in the most of the last battle tomes that I've read, it's like, oh, so first off, they started with these are the six veteran abilities. Anybody can take these veteran abilities, right? And yep. then they kind of move to these are the six veteran abilities. These are the six units that can take veteran mm -hmm. abilities. And here's the one veteran ability that each of these six units can take. Yep. We're getting a change again, at least in the okay. moment. Um, so, uh, for example, you have the high altitude ether boosters, which apply to Sky Wardens or Engineers, Engine Riggers. So you can use a veteran ability once per battle, remove the setup unit from the battlefield and set it up to one side as a reserve unit to start on the next charge phase, set up this unit anywhere on the battlefield more than inches from all enemy units. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> right? It's but not flying they... high, though, so you're good. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but then you have two that are for Skyfarer's units only. Which is pretty much every Dwarden in the army, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So you could have up to three on those Sky Wardens and Engine Riggers. Okay. okay. And then they also have one specific for Arcanaut Company, and they don't get anything else, but hmm. they have two for Sky Vessels. Hmm. Gotcha. Veteran abilities for your boats. Yeah, and Love multiple. It. So that's super fun. So, uh, for example, the evasive maneuvers, which of course is awesome. Like, why would you not want evasive maneuvers on your uh, sky <laughs> vessels? Um, once per battle, this unit can use this veteran ability at the start of the enemy shooting phase. If it does so, until the end of the phase, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target this unit. Now, all right. Fair, rules-wise, that makes sense. But I'm just imagining trying to junk an ironclad. Like, how do you, like, right. maneuver an ironclad in such a way that other people have a harder time shooting you? Because that just... Well, if yeah. their crew's just that good, they're it, veterans, you know? Exactly. You know, one hell of a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, fly casual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, just thinking of, of the veteran abilities and the damage tables for the, the sky vessels... My mind's just going crazy with all the uh, all the modeling possibilities that you yeah. could do. You know, That's, you want to yeah. model up that battle damage or put some extra snazzy crew on there because they're they've got these veteran abilities. Doing the old school uh, thing of like painting the sides, so you know your specific ship. So it's like if you got evasive maneuvers, you have a cool name for the ship, and then the cool painting on the side and all that cool stuff. Yeah, or maybe you add an endron onto the rudder. Right. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. It'd be super fun. Um, uh, and then we, of course, have some specific quests as we always do. Um, so we've got Negotiate Entering Contract, The Lost Prospectors, which is super fun. Um, so you're trying to pick up some, some of your unit, uh, some of your guys that have been left behind. Um, and yeah. I enjoy that because I actually played that game once. I don't know. I made up that story or like, I don't remember. Actually, no. I remember this was the Battle Tome specific battle plan in the last um, KO Battle Tome, or the one no. before that. No, we were nice. trying to fly in and rescue prospectors, so now they made it into a quest. So that's super fun. Very um, cool. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like the the people you pick up, they aren't people normally in your order of battle. But if you rescue mm -hmm. them, they can be. Um, or something like that. I don't know. So that it's quite possible because um, you have to actually play the special scenario at the end. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, it's like there's lost prospectors, and if you can go and rescue them, you add them to your army. And like, yeah. that's the cool quest that you get way more units for cheap than you would before. Oh, that's super fun. And then you could add in, like, you know, sneak in some from other uh, skyports and stuff. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, so, again, super fluffy, uh, super lore based, uh, enjoyable stuff. Um, and you've got your specific territories as well so i i think it's super fun that you can get a grung core training academy as one of your territories yeah um each time a grunsack unit is added to your order of battle immediately it immediately gains 2d6 renown points oh, man. in addition in step three of the aftermath sequence each grunsack unit and your order of battle that was not included in the army gains a renown point like, <laughs> super fantastic awesomeness yeah Man, um, that that right there just goes back to that. This is total war with your models. Yeah. Feel you know, like you've got this building that now gives you more veteran units than you would normally get. Mm-hmm. It's the experience boost that some heroes yeah. have. <laughs> and then uh, another super fun in-game one is uh, the Ether Gold Vault. So every Ooh. self-respecting admiral has a vault to call their own, a place to store their ether gold reserves and keep their crew secure in the knowledge that their ship's shares are protected. When fighting a battle against another Pathagory army, add one to the bravery characteristic of friendly Caradron overlord units that for every 20 ether gold shares that you have. So that would be a long-term goal because you don't just get 20 from nothing and then you can't no. spend them to upgrade anything. You yeah. just have to keep them in a vault. But then if you have 40, you upgrade the bravery by two. If you have 60, you upgrade it by three. And just imagining like how that like in lore terms of like, no, I know there's money waiting for me. There's no way right. I'm dying on this. Yeah. Story. Like <laughs> I'm taking well, you out to get back to that money. And it kind of mm. calls back to a lot of like the old dwarf stereotypes, like even in like Lord of the Rings, like what is it? Dragon fever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're literally hoarding it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then they've got some specific heroic upgrades again. Um, so you can do an Endrin Master with an Endrin Harness that can upgrade to a dirigible suit, which kind of makes sense and fits in with all the other stuff that they have. But yeah. this one is super cool to me. Um, you can have any Caradron Overlord's hero that is not unique. And okay. then you can okay. upgrade them into an Admiral. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So I love the idea of taking, you know, a code right and making him into your admiral. Right. And the modeling possibility of like throwing on that backpack with all the books onto an admiral. And like, it it just seems amazing to me. uh, And I think it'd be super fun to do that. So. Well, and there's the, like, I forget if it's anniversary or event, but the special Mm-hmm. KO where he's holding a miniature of an ironclad. Uh-huh. Like I feel like that is what a code right would be if he's an admirable. If he's an admiral, is like <laughs> he's a huge nerd who has the miniature of the ship he's gonna command. Like, hey guys, right. check it out. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um and of course they have the bespoke battle plan that we kind of talked about a little bit already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um again, they have these war scroll battalions. Uh they have the Grunskok. Grunstock Escort Wing again, which is always my favorite. I actually built my army around the Grunstock Escort Wing in the first edition. 
And then right. in the second edition, it got good. And then, of course, I didn't get any games in with it the whole edition. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's still there. Uh, so uh, it's super fun. Um, and yeah, so just it it was a fun read through. And it really intrigued me how they really were able to make the lore come to life by adding in all these special and specific rules. Mm-hmm. And I just love the idea of you have your contracts and you have to go back to port in order to redo them. And like that just adds so much story and so much depth to your army. So I thought that was super cool. I love it. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And now we're going to move over to games that we've played over the past Mm -hmm. month. And so for Paul and I, we mentioned last episode that we have been doing the white dwarf campaign Mm -hmm. uh, that was originally Gavin versus Gitz, but now it's Slaves of Darkness versus Gitz. Mm-hmm. And so our next game that we played wasn't that. Uh, we actually <laughs> had an off the cuff. <laughs> we had an off the cuff meetup with um, Paven from Dogs War Cry. We did a Triumph and Treachery game. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! And so Paven brought his Stormcast Eternals, mm-hmm. and then Paul and I we kept our our normal armies, and it was. The the battle plan out of the core book where everyone just sort of fights each other for a monolith that's sitting in the middle. Yep. And it was the fastest first few rounds of Age of Sigmar that I've done <laughs> because no one wanted to be the first person to charge in. Oh, I've played charge. Yeah, I've played um, multiplayer <laughs> games before. I know how this works. I, yeah. In my defense, I was the first to charge in with my one sacrificial unit that I put on the board. That is true. That is true. Um, so everyone was just kind of hovering, like slowly moving, like just outside of charge range. Cause no one wanted to get ganged up on. Uh, and then eventually I thought, ah, you know what? I can do it. I can take them. And I charged both armies. Yep. I that wasn't was... the person who won the game that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way that the, um, the way that the scenario worked was that the only thing that mattered was being in the center of the board at the end of the mm-hmm. game with the most models. Yep. And right. I had the most models to begin with. So I was just like, this is my, this is my game to lose. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And my philosophy was if I move my, if I get in, I took the center, mm-hmm. I had my folks standing on the edge of the controllable space hoping to kill as many models as I can so that who I had actually guarding the monolith would have a, a majority. So I sent in the heaviest hitters first and they did a really good job of like whittling people down and holding, well, not holding the line, but like staying alive. But I couldn't engage every one of like Paul's or Paven's units. So my demon prince is sitting there hacking gits as quickly as possible, just like slaughtering them. <laughs> But there's just more gits and squigs and he can manage that just like walk around him. Uh, and then the Stormcast, my my Chaos Legionnaires, like they I was a speed bump in that scenario. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like I held him off, but not for long. Um and yeah, it ended like I still had units alive, luckily, but it, it did end with like Paul had said he had the most models, and so he got to just take them into the center and survive with his gits long enough to, to conquer the objective, pulling that, that major victory out. Nice. 
yeah no it, it was great to to hang out and catch up with Paven again and play a game uh so it, it, yeah. it was super fun i enjoyed it and now was Paven playing a path to glory army I think he said he was going to write down like everything for Pat the Glory, but he mostly okay. hadn't played much of Age of Sigmar in a while. So it's more of like shaking the cobwebs loose. Sure, sure. Taking his Dominion box and going, oh, right. How does this work? Right. Yeah. And they were all painted and gorgeously painted. Oh, and he never played them before. So, wow. yeah. So that, that was our, our main focus was having a fun three player game. And then we just, we did our Path to Glory stuff afterwards, which right. is perfect. And that's just. You know, to reiterate, you can play a three a three way triumph and treachery game, and not everybody be playing a path to glory campaign, mm-hmm. and it works. It works fine. Yeah, it works. It works great. And we also got to see a bit of uh, Warhammer history in a sense oh, yes. because we we played at Noble Knight, which is like for us, it's just at least for me, it's like a big game store here in Madison but they also have a big online storefront yeah. and they were selling. Uh, Paul, you know more about this. I'll, yeah. I'll so let you take over. We're really lucky in Madison. Uh, I've, I think I've said this multiple times. We have like eight or nine game stores in the Madison area. Yeah. Something like um, that. And we have a GW store as well. Um, and wow. so I live about a mile from Noble Knight Games uh, and they were located in Janesville, but they relocated to uh, about a mile from my house. And they bill themselves as the largest game store in the world, not specifically on the actual size of their selling area, but they have the most number of games, period, listed on their website to sell. Um, So they collect anything and everything. And so every once in a while, there'll be some super rare, super um, niche thing that comes in uh that they will sell and you're like oh my goodness like it's one of those places where oh i want mordheim models oh you have mordheim models for sale you don't have every mordheim model but like oh i want some sisters of sigmar yeah we've got 15 packs of those they're gonna be expensive but we have them right (laughs) and so we're playing and then we walk over and there's another door um and they had this this kit laid out on their gaming table on black felt and they're like oh you're playing warhammer you can come over and look at this and um, we go in, and it was one of the original metal Stormbirds that was released by GW, one of the 500, complete with the uh, certificate of who mm-hmm. it was sold to wow. and which number it was. And it was every single piece laid out on the black felt to take pictures wow. so they could put it up for, for sale, um, I assume, on behalf or from the owner itself. Um, and it's just like, oh yeah, no, this is one of the most valuable kits that, uh, GW sells. Um, so that's yeah. cool and all, but also just like looking at the quality of the casting, because with a lot of Forge World stuff, um, sometimes straight panels are a problem because resin doesn't really cure so well, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is why this was all metal, mm-hmm. never been assembled. Every piece was absolutely pristine of like no, you know, um, like mold or anything growing on. It was just, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful amazing. to see something yeah. laid out. So, yeah, it's like, oh, that's, that's an amazing story. I, I, I hope that whoever buys <laughs> it will try and put it together. But I've heard that that's also an agonizing like three to four day process because. Right. A like, lot of pinning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> try to put together a cardboard box that has been cut into all the panels. 
Yeah. And you can only, you can't tape it. You can only put stuff in to make the edges fit together. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Looking at it, it was like a bunch of squares and circles. And like somehow this is a, a plane. I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, um, if you go to the GW events, um, they actually sell the resin Stormbirds. Oh, and wow. So, um, uh, which have been redesigned so that the, 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 the sides aren't as square <laughs> as they were in the right. metal because it fits together much better now. Um, there's, right. there's a first edition kit as opposed to like the seventh or eighth edition kits they're on now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you buy a big 40K super heavy, it comes in one of those massive red boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which are like, I mean, so Dominion, but bigger for one ship. Stormbird? has two yep (laughs) it's that big it has that many pieces so wow wow um and then harry i know you have been uh working on a game uh tell us a little bit about it yeah so i i haven't gotten to play against my son in the past month um just other other interests have taken his attention. Um, so he's he's very into uh, the Vermintide video game. Nice. And so still very much into Warhammer, still very much into elves specifically, but um, hasn't wanted it to get his models on the table. Um, so I took the opportunity to try and tell a little bit more of the story of some of the armies that I was putting together as uh, possible opponents for him. And so I started playing a battle between my Auric War Clans and my Slaves to Darkness. Now, you'll recall in the first couple battles, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, uh, my Slaves to Darkness took a little bit of a beating. Yeah. And have, they've got some, some casualty scores on multiple units. And so I knew if I took those units in this battle, I'd be down models. Um, right. And I wanted to give... Uh, those units a chance to recuperate so what i decided to do even though my warlord she doesn't have any injuries on her war score right now um i wanted to give the opportunity for my chaos sorcerer lord to lead a force so i did a little 600 point game and he took his bodyguard of chaos warriors the um the godsworn hunt and thedra skullscryer yeah, and a uh, another tribe of Dark Oath Savagers, and they're off still questing for this infernal puppet that he he wants to get his hands on. Oh yeah, and they've come across the uh, the Orc War Clans, uh, a small raiding party led by my mega boss Grimgore Stormhide. It's a little bit of a throwback. I noticed a lot of. <laughs> Pose similarities between the Warhammer Plus Mega Boss and one of my favorite uh, Orc and Goblin characters from the old world. And so I went ahead with the name because he thinks that he's kind of as good as the old Grimgore Ironhide. Maybe he doesn't know about him specifically, but you know, the idea still exists somewhere out there within Orc lore of yeah. this great War Boss or Mega Boss named Grimgore, so he took the name himself. And, and uh, I say I like the Stormhide because it ties into the narrative you're saying of him being from Azir. Right, right. So he claims to to be from Azir. Again, 
he might be, he might not be. Yeah, but that's what he's claiming. Uh, <laughs> and that's what he tells everyone. Um, and so it took him and a unit of uh, Oric Mob with bows and Oric Mob with two choppas and a small bodyguard of Ard Boys. And I'm in the middle of playing. I've actually still got it laid out in our rec area. Um, so I'm not going to do like a turn by turn of what's happened so far, but I'll do right. a little bit of a narrative of what's happened so far. So they, they're trying to claim these three possible stashes uh, where this infernal puppet might be hidden. And so to start off, the Oryx rushed forward towards the uh, the Dark Oath forces, which had separated themselves into two wings to try and um, try and encircle the Oryx. The Oryx rushed forward and didn't quite make it far enough to get a charge in on oh. the, the Slaves to Darkness. So the uh, that allowed the Dark Oath to respond with a counter charge on the Oric mob that had the paired hand weapons and they were able to get in there and through just luck and good death blows, they were able to wipe out a full 20 Oric unit. Um, they took three casualties in the process, but they were able to wipe them out. Meanwhile, the Godsworn hunt took off and ran into a realm gate because I have the Belfal realm gates now. So hmm. it ran into a realm gate. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, even though Thedra ran along with them to help guide their journey, the hazardous journey of going through a realm gate still meant they lost their dog in the process. No. So <laughs> don't know where the dog went. Didn't come out the other side, but the, uh, the Godsworn hunt was able to pop up behind the auric force and run to check on one of those possible treasure locations. Um, at the same time, the chaos warriors uh, had moved forward. And while they were being peppered with poorly aimed arrows from the auric mob, they charged in. Now they've got the, uh, the halberds and shields because they're those great battle masters. Yeah. Sculpts. And uh, so they can fight in a dense two ranks, which make it harder for the orcs to get in and get within <laughs> one inch. And uh, they were able to do enough damage, even though they didn't fight first. Um, they were able to, to do enough damage that the orcs couldn't survive the battle shock test. And they're down to two, only two orcs left in that mob facing off against the, the chaos warriors. So it's not looking great. However, smack in the middle of the board right now is Grimgor and his Ard boys waiting to get stuck in. And he's within easy charge range of those Chaos Warriors. And what Grimgor's got up his sleeve, so to speak, is his Lightning Choppa. Yeah. So I've given him the, the Destroyer artifact. And he can go in and charge this massive two-handed choppa that he's got that just crackles with the lightning of Azir. And when he unleashes it, he can do massive amounts of damage. I think mm. it's like five damage per attack Ooh, that, that, that it goes amazing. up to. And he's got eight attacks on his war scroll. 
And if he manages to do any damage, he goes up to nine attacks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a massive amount of damage that he has the potential to put out. So he may still be able to turn this battle around single-handedly if he can just get a hold of these Chaos Warriors. So we'll see what happens next. But so far, it's been a, a pretty rough rough go for the Oryx. I I know the Slaves to Darkness is like the army you are playing, but I hope Grimgore gets in there and and takes care of business. Oh yeah, it'll just be fun to see. It'll yeah. it'll be a blast. Um, perfect. That's awesome. And then Paul and I did have another battle where we did continue that White Dwarf campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a little re- recap of what the campaign is. Um, there are essentially three territories that I am defending mm-hmm. and I had to kind of split my forces amongst those territories. Um, last game we played, it was at the ether quartz deposit and I had my main army. So I had a bigger army than, than Paul did. Mm-hmm. And I ended up barely getting the major victory out of that one. This time, Paul decided to attack my Bellacore temple. I chose poorly (laughs) um i mean it was the right thing to try to take from me it's just we were now fighting an even points battle yeah i yeah i should have picked the other one because then he would have been down 10 percent. oof i i think you made the right choice for me and that's what matters (laughs) (laughs) exactly um yeah and the way like it's all set up we had mentioned before it has like recommended battle plans for open play match play and narrative play and we just kind of rolled to see what we were going to do and we ended up rolling to do the match play battle plan which was rising power Mm -hmm. and the way this worked is if you just went around capturing objectives if you had more objectives on your turn than your than your opponent you got more points and the important thing is that it counted in your turn so this happened with Paul taking the first turn. Uh-huh. His squigs moved up. He captured almost every objective besides the one in my territory. Yep. It was Lots super of smart. points early on. Super, super smart. smart. Uh, the only issue was that like when he rolled for his squigs to move forward, they didn't move forward enough to get within charge distance. Nope. None of them. How many units did I try and charge with? Oh my god, like three or four, something like. And it was all six and seven. Like, there weren't any long charges. The yeah. one It was one that was seven, and I saved a command point to re-roll that one. Couldn't make the charge. No. Like, so, I yeah, I I think I tried, tried to charge with five units, and I failed yeah. with four, and I made it in with one. Yes. It was like, ugh. And, and that one unit did do damage. It tore up my Chaos Legionnaires mm-hmm. um, and like even got ready to, to go for the second unit of Legionnaires I had. Yep. But then it became my turn, and I had my Chaos Knights, I had my Chosen, I had my Demon Prince, mm-hmm. and every single one of those got into charge. And yep. like at, like after the last time we played is when people had started reading the Gitz book. So they started coming up with the boogeyman that was the gloom skit by Gitz with all their crazy things that they can do. Mm-hmm. But if 
Slaves to Darkness gets the charge with their rend weapons. It's a very different story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've been noticing when it's Slaves to Darkness versus Gets as it stands right now, whoever gets the charge is going to do the most damage. Right. Well, it's just pretty normal, but it, I, I'm amazed at like how vastly different the different the games are based on who can charge. Yeah. Well, and the other thing was that um, we were kind of coming up with our own regiments of renown in ideas of trying to figure out what's going on. So I put together my own like Gloomspite Gets regiment of renown using the squig boss and a squig herd and then the um, the snufflers. And so I had this combo worked out where the squig boss would do one thing and the snufflers would do the other thing. And, and um, I needed a two plus on the snufflers and I rolled a one. Mm, yeah, and I was just like, mm. and then I'm like, oh, but it's okay. Cause they're going to be moving up and like, they'll, they'll go in and they'll charge and they'll do damage. And then they failed their charge. And it's just like, Okay, my whole my whole regiment now is failing miserably to achieve the basic objective, but it's okay because I've got this like this awesome rally. I can rally on four plus if I just survive this one. So I didn't survive the one round of combat. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! Yeah, like it was gonna be a great unit to to kill things if I got a chance to fight, but I didn't on that side. So. Yeah, that side, the Chaos Knights just kind of like moved up and took everything. The middle side, the Chosen killed the units they were tasked with. Uh, and then the Demon Prince went in on like a lot of one-on-one challenges. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, it was your Squake Hoppers mm-hmm. uh, versus the Chaos Legionnaires. And the Squake Hoppers were definitely chewing through the my Legionnaires. Yep. But the legionnaires lived long enough for the chosen to flank. Yep. And those dudes are lawnmowers, uh, especially for a unit like the Squig Hoppers. And that, like, part of it is just like some of my units lived longer than they should have. And then you had gotten a one on those two plus rolls. Like, it's very much these two armies, it depends on who charges. And a lot of the time it has been like you can point to a specific die roll and goes. That's where the game turned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and in reality, it's just a game of Warhammer. Like, this is why we play Warhammer, because we're like, it's I great. got this great combo. It's going to be great. And then you play, and you're like, oh. And I'm like, right. but I want to play this unit again, because I know it's a great combo, and I know it could do some fun. Yeah, right? Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> it, what it, are the chances I can't do the fun thing? One in six. Right. Well, because right. if I would have gotten that, then the, the Squig Herd would have gotten a five plus ward save. Mm hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then when they charged in, they do mortals because of the thing that I gave them. And then I rolled one six out of like, what was it? 37 dice. I rolled one six. And if I would have rolled the average, which was six, I would have killed two chaos knights instead of giving a mortal wound to one. So they would only been able to attack back with three. But then instead he had all five and then I killed two. But then he rallied back one of them. Just like, yeah. Okay. So it's just <laughs> not like, you know, the, the, I'm, the problem was I attacked the shrine to Bellacor. Yes. That was just yeah. a poor choice. I shouldn't expect my stuff to go well and his stuff to go poorly when I'm attacking his shrine to Bellacor. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and the narrative for it, um, I forget exactly what we had set up. But in my mind, because again, all of Paul's gits are blind. Uh-huh. I'm setting up this temple of Bellacor. 
they're chanting, they're making a lot of noise, which is drawing some attention. <laughs> right. A little bit. Right. Um, and that's what brought him in. Yeah, so that one I ended up winning, which puts us in a, an interesting spot in terms of the campaign, because mm-hmm. technically the campaign is over. I successfully defended uh, my territories, but there is a very cool battle plan that's like if Paul won any one of those games, we would fight this battle. <laughs> I won the wrong game because yeah. <laughs> I won the multiplayer when I should have yeah. tried to win the ca- Yeah. So hey, I, th- I think that's good enough reason to play that cool battle plan though. Well, and we we're definitely still going to play the cool battle plan and I think the narrative cuz the original campaign is like Skaven versus um Gets. Yeah. We might just and I'm just thinking right now on the spot of like make that still be the Skaven outpost and we both just happen to come across it. Ooh, I like that. Like, yeah. separate from our our battles. Yeah. Um yeah, and then since we it was the Bellacore Temple, I realized like, oh cool. I completed my quest that allows me to like roll twice on the territories table. And the second time I roll, it's automatically a slaves to darkness special territory as yes. the chaos monolith. Oh um, nice. So that's now my, my Bellacore temple is now an entire monolith that's uh, to perfect. Bellacore. And things in the veins themselves are going to start to slowly tick as small groups of people may start meeting underneath of taverns showing their little bellicor symbols and starting to like slowly spread his word uh, Mm -hmm. amongst the people yeah no and it's all my fault it's because i i couldn't Mm -hmm. roll a two plus no it's not Yeah, uh, because that's what's fun story and it, it, it's why we play right exactly yeah, yeah exactly you talking earlier uh, i don't you might want to cut this out so no go just, for it um but you mentioning earlier about the uh people getting worked up about gits being so so crazy broken or without actually playing games against them and how right. your experience is very different with the slaves to darkness. And I, I've noticed a lot of reaction lately within the online community about things like four plus rally acting as if this is a new thing. And then I was just reading through the Oric Warclans book, mm-hmm. which we already talked about was one of the first battle tomes in third edition. And right there on the, Art Boy's War Scroll is if they're near a War Chanter, they rally on a four plus instead of a six. Yep. <laughs> like uh, it's been part of armies all along, and nobody was complaining about it then. So well, and it's so funny that crazy Gits is the army they choose to be mad about when Slaves of Darkness had four plus on Varengard before they facted it out. <laughs> Right, and right. I know people were getting a little upset about the Beast of Chaos having the four plus rally when they redid the um, the White Dwarf, yeah, uh, up, update. But yeah, it's interesting what people kind of glom onto when a new book comes out because it's like, oh, this new thing is super overpowered. Yeah, it was when the Oryx had it. <laughs> <laughs> now that everyone has it, it's like they yeah, need it's... it to be stable. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I 
talked i mean my aftermath for that game all i did was look at my my territories i got a cool like some veteran like the knights they're now triple veterans after two games which is fantastic but i still need to figure out what their abilities are but paul i know you can make potions i can make Mm -hmm. potions so let's go do that um we've got the ring table again Um, yeah and i got some other cool mushrooms mostly we'll see we'll figure this out how it works one second um so i've got don't throw the green morc shrooms in first this time (laughs) but i have six of them (laughs) (laughs) because that's i guess that's what i get um uh i also have um, a bitter spurt that is roll two dice instead of one when making a brewing roll for this shroom for each dice that is a one and two to the volatility score instead of one Oh, nice. Extra uh, volatile. Exactly. Uh, I got another def cap, which is cool. That is roll five dice instead of one for making brewing. So that was the one that saved me last time. So I'll probably save mm-hmm. that one uh, for last for the end as well. Um, I've got a Mork Shroom. Oh, I, I just got, I guess, nope, those are my six green Mork Shrooms. Got it. And then I, I also... I say go big with the def, def cap up front. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Go and big then, and then send them home. <laughs> I also have a a spaddle swather. What is that? Why am I not seeing it? It is a gray spaddle swapper. Instead of making a brewing roll on a roll of dice, on a one, the fungus brew immediately fails. On a nope. two plus, wow. double your concoction score. Ooh. So it's definitely not the first one you throw in because you want to get a good concoction score to start with. Yeah, that's a... I am looking forward to this. Never mind all the dice that are rolling here. All right. Who so, is going to be brewing your potion, Paul? Uh, it's going to be my warlord, Zikpizzle. Uh, I salute his endeavors. Yes. yes. Exactly. Good luck. All right. So we're going to start off with um, the bitter spurts. So those are rolling two dice instead of one. So a three and a three. So that means that my brewing roll is a six, right? Okay. Um, That's your concoction score? I believe so. Yes. Now I'm going to reread it again because I don't want to get it wrong. And there were no ones, so we don't have any volatility. Yep. Yep. All right, yeah. So uh, it starts off and has six. So then I will do another bitter spurt. I got a one, but I got another three. So it goes up to 10 with two volatility. I'm going to roll one more, three and a three. So I'm up to 16 with two volatility. What do I need to get? Death cap. I need to have 10. All right. So, Well, 10 uh, just to not automatically. Yeah. So I'm going to roll the death cap, which is, ooh, I got a good roll there. Um, so that is 19. Oh, wow. So I am up to 2035. Yes. And then now 35, that could be 70. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) So we're going to try this, uh, spaddle flopper and don't roll a one six. So it's 70. I mean, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, all right. So. I still have a volatility of two. 
All right. So I need to roll two dice. I rolled a eight. That is well below, below renown. my renown of 16 right. for uh, for Zigpizzle. Oh, so, right, yeah. Oh, I am one point away from the next left, but I, I made a stodgy soup. Ooh. Um, so I can pick a unit on my order of battle with a casualty score of one or more. Reduce that casu- unit's casualty score by D6. So I will happily take that. So if you blow up. Who's going to drink it? I mean... I can drink it at the beginning of any of my future battles. Oh, okay. super awesome. Nice. So, all right. Thank you for coming along with this brewing of a stodgy soup. What can <laughs> I of 71. If I rolled 71, once per battle start of the combat phase, you can choose for the unit with this fungus brew to drink it. Until the end of the phase, add one of the attacks characteristics of that unit's melee weapons. Well, that'd be super Ooh. awesome. So, all right. Done and done. That's awesome. Yeah. So. And and now, after the aftermath, uh, we did just have one (laughs) listener question that we wanted to address. But this one is actually, uh, we chose this question because it's something that will apply to like most people. And we, there's a lot of different answers, but we wanted to provide a few of those answers. So this is from Charsh, uh, who asked us this on the Discord. Uh, Charsh says, I'm trying to garner some interest in a Path to Glory campaign at my local gaming store. Not sure how to actually run a campaign. Just been starting, and while I enjoy the podcast, I would like a how-to on running a campaign if there's interest. So far, my only experience is just playing with one other person, and we are writing narrative with our two armies. So it's the idea of now you actually find out there are more people who want to do Path to Glory. How do you organize that? Yeah. I know, Harry, you had mentioned you had a a thought about this. Yeah. So one of my things, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself from previous episodes here, is that Path to Glory lets you tell the story of your army regardless of the battles that you play. So you don't have to have an organized campaign that you're part of in order to do the Path to Glory campaign for your army. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've talked a lot about you can play against match play players um, where they're just bringing their tournament prep army and you bring your Path to Glory uh, army Maybe you don't count your casualty scores and you don't get your veteran abilities, but you still get to receive all the renown. You can still record the story of that battle um, and advance your roster from the results of that battle. That being said, obviously, it's a lot of fun to tell a story with other people. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do that as an organized campaign. there's a lot of different campaign systems out there from map based campaigns to tree based campaigns, uh, similar to the one that you guys are doing, uh, which was sort of a decision tree yeah, uh, based on who won, which battles um, to escalation campaigns uh, or escalation leagues. You'll sometimes hear them called where everybody starts at an agreed level and you advance at a similar pace. That can, of course, create some complexity with the way Path to Glory works, where 
depending on whether you win or lose, you're going to have more glory to spend to add units to your roster. Um, but that doesn't mean that anyone's getting ahead right. of the others um, because you're still going to be playing based on the tier of battle yep. that you've reached and you're going to be playing the same points amount. Yeah. That's the the interesting thing with like the Path to Glory system itself. There's a a built-in measure or balancing mechanic, um, like Harry mentioned, with those tiers. And because of that, there's a lot of like different campaign styles people are used to that will obviously still work for Path to Glory, but are kind of redundant because of the way Path to Glory works. Like you mentioned, like Escalation Leagues, you already can escalate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there are like two examples I know of campaigns that people either are going to run or have run that are very different. Um, the one that is actually going to be happening here in Madison starting sometime in April is a leaderboard campaign. Um, you start with a thousand points and you battle against people. You get put on a leaderboard and you can challenge other folks it's very similar to like what other game stores have done for like match play and things like that. Cause it is very, it's a very competitive campaign style. You're trying to be better than everyone else. You're trying to get to the top of the leaderboards, uh, which is definitely a way to do it. Um, especially if you consider like the benefits from path to glory as something that like you can boost your army with like, Oh, I'm going for this artifact because I think this artifact can get me from third in the leaderboard to second or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that's definitely one way you can do it. But another campaign that I know happened in uh, a friend of mine ran in Texas, I think near Lubbock was she just had everyone like play against each other, just like a little bit more free form. But the thing that tied the campaign together was just an overarching story hey, this campaign, it's taking place in this part of the mortal realms. When you battle each other, you get like extra end of campaign points if someone submits like a paragraph of the narrative of that battle. But it really ended with just big multiplayer battles. And whoever like won those multiplayer battles like got to be the winners. Um, And it very much was a lot more freeform. There was a lot less rails put upon it because harry like you said this is the story of your army you don't need to have all these guiding posts if what you are really focusing on is just playing fun games using fun rules telling fun stories Mm -hmm. you don't need to have a lot of these like other tools people are used to in like their local gaming store leagues right you don't have to but you can't Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> that's a great thing about the way they've written the Path to Glory uh, rule structure, if you will, is it's very open-ended. There's not an ending uh, or a winner written into the core book at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't say first to reach 2,000 points or 10,000 points or 40 glory. Yeah, it, none of that is built in there. Now, if you, for the sake of completion with your group of friends want to set a cap like that, you know, say, Hey, we're going to race to a hundred glory or something like that. Then go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, you know, it needs to be whatever's fun for you and your friends. 
your opponents that you're going to be playing with. Um, another issue that I know is I've run into in years past with campaigns and leagues is real life, you know, and, and getting in your required games during a certain set amount of time. And what I feel like the, uh, the writers of Path to Glory were really cognizant of is that different players have different time availability to play Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they set it up in such a way that you're not going to be penalized for not getting in a set amount of games. If there are a couple players who are down at the store two, three nights a week and they can get those games in and play, they'll they'll have a good time and their armies will advance. Yeah. And if there's a guy that can only get in one weekend a month and play his game, his army will advance too. And and they're not there's not gonna be a penalty for the one or the other. Um, everyone gets rewarded along the way and can have fun playing games of Warhammer with their armies. So I know that's not a a definite answer uh, for Charsh as far as, you know, this is the way you set up a campaign. Um, but that's the reality of it is it's kind of up to you and the other guys who want to play in it. And if different people want to play it a little differently, they can. And yeah. you can all still do it together. Exactly. Um, yeah. If I were gonna, no. okay. Go ahead, Paul. You go, Paul. Um, if I were going to run the campaign, um, what I would probably do is I would either write a little story about what you want the setting to be, right? Or yeah. I would make up a little hex grid or a map of the area that you want to fight over, right? And then you can either make up some rules or you can crib some rules from the battle tomes like we were talking about earlier with that hex campaign uh, idea of oh, this is what you can do when you're running the Oryx. You can mm-hmm. desecrate this area, right? And the the benefit of doing something like that is instead of going for points where, especially when it gets into the longer game uh, with match play and specifically, there's usually a runaway winner um, yeah. unless there's some mechanic in there to stop people from being able to do things uh, where you have a certain amount of hexes and therefore you can't get them taken away or it's an overwhelming force for other people to be able to take you down without just being like, we're going to take down the guy who's winning, which isn't necessarily fun for everybody because you know, (laughs) if it doesn't fit the narrative of your army or if it doesn't fit your play style, or if the army is an army that you're not going to win against, well, you know, because it's uh, kind of a rock, paper, scissors to your army. Well, that might not be fun for you. And instead of saying, all right, well, we're permanently adding this. If we added in mechanics where, for example, you could just say that you've built this little count country and then it's up to everybody to use those orc mechanics to desecrate all the different areas, right? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the game or the end of the campaign is when everything has been desecrated or there's a final mega battle for the cool thing in the middle that nobody could take down on their own because it's too powerful, right? So it's a lot less specific and I don't know, the word I'm looking for is like, you need to be a lot less anal about your design if you're doing a narrative campaign as opposed to a match play campaign because yeah, match play, everybody expects, well, I want to play a match play game and if I win, then I get a super bonus and the person who wins the most must win. 
right? <laughs> Must win the campaign. Whereas in a, a narrative play, like obviously people enjoy winning. Obviously people enjoy telling the story. But the point of playing in a campaign is to tell a story together. Yeah. So right. figuring out some way of making a story that you want to tell with other people. And it very much is similar to, you know, being a, a dungeon master or a games master in a role-playing game. You're setting up the battlefield for everybody to fight over. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, I was going to suggest that as another possibility or another mm-hmm. uh, Lego brick that you can add into the, the Lego model mm-hmm. of your campaign here is you could have a a dungeon mastered campaign, so to speak. You could mm-hmm. have a, a DM or a GM who is going to kind of referee the campaign, not so much in the sense of setting up the battles, but maybe you set up the story to the battles and maybe you hand out some additional renown or some additional glory based on how well people are playing into that story. So you can do a little bit of control like that, but there again, it's that social contract. Everyone needs to be on board with that. If that's something that you can get a lot of support for within your group, go for it. It could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And to like both of those points, especially about your point, Paul, about like not diving too deep into it. um, This question comes up sometimes, but not as much for Warcry. Um, Mm -hmm. The second edition of Warcry, their quest system, it kind of is the path to glory quest system. Mm -hmm. And here in Madison, we have a Warcry league and Warcry has one benefit that path to glory doesn't, which is, you have the setting. You are mm-hmm. in this part of Gur, and you are in this area. So when you we have the campaigns here, they're like, hey, it's eight weeks. You start at the very lowest building block, and we just play eight weeks of games in this area. They don't have a winner. They just have, oh, how how did you fare after eight weeks of playing? Tell us about it. And the only thing that they really did was, oh, we have a pre-built setting. I think if you're doing Path to Glory, the easiest way to do it is just to give to just pick somewhere in the realms and go, we're fighting here. Let's play games for eight weeks. And during those eight weeks, we're just going to tell each other about the games and the stories that we've done. Mm-hmm. And like you can keep it as simple as that. Yeah. Yep. If you wanted to do, I, I, I actually triggered a thought in my head, Will. <laughs> um, what you could do is you could pick up the White Dwarf Flashpoint con- combats, right? And you could say, yep. all right, so we're going to do these battle plans for these two weeks, right? Tell me who won and who lost for these three battle plans. And then at the end of two weeks or three weeks or whatever, we're going to do the final scenario that's in the mm-hmm. battle pack. And we'll do two by yep. two. And then next week, we'll move on to another Flashpoint Clash, right? If you Mm -hmm. are like, I don't know, I don't think I'm somebody that can write my own material, or I'm not sure where to go, right? Well, fine. Then use the stuff that GW has already provided, and you can do that together. And GW puts out a new White Dwarf every month, and every Mm -hmm. two months almost, there's a new Flashpoint Clash or something like that. So, um, And especially if you're a subscriber to Warhammer Plus, you've got how many White Dwarves that are in the backlog now? Yeah. um, for their Warhammer Vault, so it it, it doesn't need to be super complicated. Um, and if you've got people who are a little more match play focused, the battle plans from the General's Handbook 
uh, the past three generals handbooks are all great battle plans. Oh yeah. Um, you know, some are, you know, more thematic than others. Um, but they all have story behind them. If you go in and read them, they all have a setting, you know, whether it's in, in Thondia or in what's the other one? Gallet. Yeah. Gallet. Um, you know, they're all set in Gur. They're set in specific areas of Gur, and they're set up to tell the story of armies making their way through there. So even mm-hmm. though those were set up for more match play type events, they they work great for narrative too. Yeah. Um, so on this topic, if you go to themortalrealms.com forward slash discord, or I believe it's discord.com forward slash themortalrealms. I think it's both. Yep. <laughs> and you join us in the hashtag path to glory room or chat group, whatever the discord term is for it. Channel. Um, channel. Um, you can tell us your ideas for a campaign and share, you know, pick our brains, share your ideas. I want to hear off the wall ideas. I want to hear creative ideas. I want to hear crazy ideas. Tell us how you would run a campaign. And over the next month, we're going to be reading those ideas. And we'll put everybody who puts an idea into the chat um, into a drawing. And I'm going to give away a set of the Open War cards from first edition Age of Sigmar that allow you to randomly generate a battle plan just using these great little objective deployment twist and sudden death cards um, that they just always, they never fail to be fun battles. If you ask me, mm-hmm. um, because uh, although one, one tip I'll give is deal out three cards and have each player discard one. Ooh. And then whatever's left is the, the one that you go with. And that way it doesn't necessarily uh, favor one army or the other too yeah. strongly. Uh, but yeah, uh, I will give that away to the winner of our campaign idea contest. That sounds awesome. I yeah, because I missed out on those um, in first edition, and I always hear people talk about that, and I really, I'm jealous. <laughs> They're definitely fun cards. I wish they still made them. Yeah. So yeah, if you are listening uh, towards the end of the episode, then definitely go ahead and do it. And I'm also probably going to remind people in tweets to listen to the end for how to enter that sort of randomized drawing. Any other notes on how to run uh, a Path to Glory like campaign? I'm spent. I think we've touched on the the big stuff. Um, you know, again, just to to footstop it, I've heard some other people in the hobby either dismiss Path to Glory because they're don't want to deal with the bookkeeping of a campaign or they, they feel like, Oh, this army's path to glory rules uh, are overpowered. And that this army will run away from all the others. They'll get too much of an unfair advantage. Just remember that path to glory is written in such a thoughtful way that you're still going to be playing battles at the same level. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if your roster is 3,000 points and your opponent's roster is only 1,000 points, you're going to play a 1,000-point game yeah. and they're going to be 
roughly equal armies. You know, nobody's going to have too strong of an advantage or too much of a disadvantage. Yeah, you might have your casualty scores that you have to take into account. Um, or you might have some injuries that you're dealing with for your heroes, but that, those are minor, minor mechanics in the rules. Um, so don't be afraid that you're going to get a, a feel bad experience. If you go out there and you just lose game after game after game for path to glory, mm-hmm. you're still going to tell a fun story with your army. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be falling behind everyone else who's playing. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, dear listeners, our fire has at last burned down to embers, and we must take the path once more. If you enjoyed your time with us, consider leaving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, or you can leave a tip over on our Patreon at themortalrealms.com slash Patreon. If you'd like to share your stories with us, you can head on over to our Twitter at Path to Story, or you can chat with us on our Discord at themortalrealms.com slash Discord. Finally, if you'd like to keep us company on the road, Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. And Harry, where can they find you online? I'm on Twitter at Toy Soldier Fun, and I'm on the Discord as Harry. All right. And then you can find me on Twitter at Age of Sever, and you can find me on the Discord as Sever. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again real soon. Of half new story and AOS Harris knows the half